You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast. Well, I'm going to share today's message. We're talking today about teaching our children well, and a message that is really dear to our heart and something that I believe is close to God's heart. When you read his read the scriptures on how important it is to pass the baton. We've been talking about mentorship and going from one generation to another and really taking that baton. Remember last week where you run, you catch the baton, you have to keep the pace for it to keep going. And that's what it's like from generation to generation, both in uh, in our relationship with the Lord, but is also in our home with our kids. It doesn't necessarily mean parents' kids, but it abs- I'm going to use illustrations with that in mind. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1, it's in your notes, um, number of the verses on that front page. But in the first page, God gives us some instruction. Now, he's commanding us something right at the beginning, right at the offset. He's, he's bringing us a command. And he says, now, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you. So it would be as if God is saying, I've got something I want to teach you. I want to command you to do something. So that is a good time for us to just kind of get our ears up and say, okay, what is it, Lord? What do you want to teach us? He wants to give us some responsibility that's found in, in verse 2, that we may fear the Lord our God, keep all his statutes and commandments which he commands, that us, your son, your grandson, and all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. You can see God has a heart from one generation to another to another. He never drops something and says, okay, that was it. That was just for that people group. And now you guys have to, I have to start something fresh or you have to find me in a different way. He really wants it to go from one to the other. The result of that is found in verse 3. Therefore, hear, O Israel. The word Israel in Hebrew actually just means contender or it means uh, God prevails. So we contend to pass on truth from one generation to another. So he's speaking to us as contenders. We want God to prevail. Be careful to observe that all may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you. Again, you see the generations, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then he starts it off. In verse 4, the very first thing that he, he says before he says anything else, he says, I want you to hear something. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's making a very clear statement right off the bat, there's only one God. Remember what Jesus said? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by me. God's making it really clear, there's me. I'm it. There's one God. And then he goes on from there to go into what we're going to be talking about in the message and going into point one, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Some interesting statistics that are in prevalent today, and this, by the way, is not just in public school system. This is also in private Christian schools. 74% of Christian kids say they cheat on tests. 83 lie to their teachers. 93% of Christian kids lie to their parents. 63 become physically violent toward others when angry. And 64% of Christian kids believe that if a person is generally good or does enough good things for others during their life, they will earn a place in heaven. You know what those statistics tell us as a church is we've got some work to do. We've got some work as a, as a church family to pass on to another generation some truths of God's word. Wouldn't you agree? So we're going to start off with point number one about loving the Lord your God with all of your heart. You can find that in verse five, verse five and six, talk about it. 
and we want to run this race with endurance. As I hold it, you know what? I didn't come to church today. I don't really want to be in a race. I don't want to really push hard. I don't, I like my life. It's comfortable. I'm in a great comfort zone. Well, guess what? All of us are in this race. If If you are breathing air this morning, you're in this race and you're running. We want to run this race with endurance and we want to model truth. If we're going to live, let's, let's make a difference, right? If you're going to do, if we're going to go through these, how many decades of life that God gives us, let's at least make a difference with what God's given us. And we can model the truth, but it has to be first in our heart. It's impossible to pass on to somebody else something that's not already inside you. Wouldn't you agree? I can't give the love of God to somebody if I haven't first put it inside myself. I can't love the Lord my God with all my by the way, that verse talks about three different areas, which we are a three-part being. Again, I know it's, it's very familiar, great repetition. But again, he talks about loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, which is the place where the Spirit of God dwells. That's the real you. That's the part that's going to go to heaven. It's that heart. It's you. Then you've got the soulish realm, which is your mind, will, and emotions. And he's saying, love the Lord your God in what? In your soul. In, you know, love your Lord, the Lord your God in your mind, in your thought process. Think about th- him. Think about what he wants you to do. Think about how you can please him. Think about how you can push this or give what you have and, and give it to somebody else. And then he says, with all of your strength, which is what? Your physical body. How can we use this earth suit that God has given us in a way that glorifies God, that, that it's evident that we love him? So that's what he's talking about here in all those three parts of our being, to love God. Well, I love God, but I, it's, it's just between me and him. But see, that's where we're coming back to this. We're going to read it the way he asked us to look at it, the way he's commanded it to us to look at it. And that's, he's saying, I don't, want just, I don't want just your heart. I want all of you, body, soul, spirit, everything. Love me with everything. One of the reasons why this is so important is we go through these verses is as we do that, it's really easy to mentor somebody else and be an example because they can see it. If it's just between me and God and nobody else and, and I close off that relationship I have with the Lord and his principles, I've got nothing to give. I, I have no way to give that out to anyone else. And God's saying, I've put this in you, but I want you to give it out to somebody else. Does that make sense? Yes, well, thank you very much. I'm so glad it does. So we want to love God with all of our body, all our soul, and our spirit. I love this verse in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. What issues are you facing right now in your life? You have issues. Everybody's got issues. There's things going on in your world right now. And he's saying to us, he's giving you, he's giving you a really great key. Guard your heart with all diligence because out of that is going to flow these issues of life. And how do you deal with the issues of life has to do with how much we're in a relationship with God. Let me, let me use this as an example in loving God to pass on to another generation. This may help. I'm sure almost everyone here has flown on a plane, and you get on that plane, you have your seatbelt buckled in, and then you have a steward or a stewardess say to you, they go through the procedures of the plane, and one of the things that they talk about is if by chance those oxygen masks would fall, if you're traveling with young children, to first put on your own mask before you help a young child, correct? What, it's the same principle. For me to be passing on any kind of godly information, for me to be able to pass on truths, for me to pass on life skills to someone else, I have to have them myself. And so what God is saying here, love me first, and out of that will flow an issue of life to others. That's a good introduction point. Number two, build relationships. You'll find it in verse 7. 
And you shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. That's pretty well all the time. Children are inheritance from God, and it's a huge privilege to teach. And look what Dwight Moody said. If I could relive my life, I would devote my entire ministry to reaching children for God. Kids are amazing. It's a, it is such an honor to be able to give what you have and to impart it to somebody else. It's such a privilege to be able to build a relationship with somebody that you wouldn't normally be in a relationship with. And when you have kids in your life, all of a sudden there's this, God, I don't know what to do. When, when our children were first, when they were toddlers, we, you know what we, our, a majority of our prayer time was? God, help us. I, I don't know what to do. In, in whatever way, and he'd bring it through books. He'd bring it through, like Dave talked about last week, an older couple, Ron and Kathy, whose kids were about six or seven years older in life than ours were. He brings people into your life that have either been there, done that, and you can learn from them, or he does it through books or, you, or through a message, and he just deposits through his word. He'll just deposit something in your heart. And we were at that place where it's, God, help us. And it's not because we thought our parents did such a poor job raising us, but we have our own kids with their own personalities in this season of the world, How do we bring them up in a way that pleases you according to your word? This never changes, but I'll tell you what, the world around us changes. And so how do we keep that timeless truth in our home and allow them to live life? And so it was building a relationship with them, getting into their world and knowing how we were to be. You can't teach them without spending time with them. Look at this stat. A hundred years ago, parents spent 54% of their time with their children. Today, it's 18 Repeatedly teach at home and along the way in everyday life. You know, I love the fact that my mom is in her mid-70s, and she is an avid Facebook user. <laughs> she, um, she got a computer, and she actually asked us to teach her how to use the Internet. And one of the reasons she wanted to do this, she says, I want to stay abreast with everything that's going on, but I want to connect with my grandkids. And so she's on Facebook a a lot more than than I am. And um, our kids love it. Her grandkids love it. Her great-grandkids love it. The fact that they can talk to grandma or great-grandma on the Internet, they're on Facebook. And she makes little comments on their comments, and it's just so great that she's involved. She's built a relationship with them to stay connected. She didn't get on there just so she could view everybody in the world. She had a purpose for being on there. Now she's gone beyond Facebook, and we got her a BlackBerry. Okay. (laughs) We should have cut it off with the Facebook. She texts more than I do. I don't know how many minutes of texting she has a month, but she is on all the time. And I'll get these little text messages from her all the time, which is so cute. But back in fall when I took her out to Saskatchewan for my, hun- my grandmother's 100th birthday, we were driving from the airport in Saskatoon to this town, which is about 45 minutes away. And while we're driving, she's on there just like, so mom, put your phone down. Like, seriously, let's talk. We haven't been together for, let's, let's just talk. Just, just, just one more text. I just have to send one more text. She's built relationships, purposing to do that, to stay connected with a generation that she could have very easily said, I don't do that. I'm too old. I don't get it. I don't understand. That's your generation. 
doesn't matter, doesn't affect me. But no, she, she purposed to get involved. It's a great example of building relationships. Know, know your child. Be current with them. Uh, and can I throw this in for parents? When you have to discipline your kids, attack the problem, not your child. And whatever you do, don't compare them to either one of their siblings or to one of their cousins or one of their friends or what you were like at that age. Keep the comparisons out. And that is such a huge fruit of self-control to say, I'm not going there. That's not fair to them. They're not you. They're not their sibling. They are set apart. God has a specific calling for them. And it's our responsibility as parents to find out what's going on in their life and how to pray and bring them up. And you know, the same principles, but you'll, you'll redirect it from child to child. Haven't you found those with multiple kids? You can use the same principles, but it certainly changes. Build relationships also amongst siblings. How many of you can remember, like just off the top of your head, you can remember something that maybe a brother or a sister said to you when you were younger? Just one sentence, one scenario, one little thing that, yeah, yeah, I can, I can think of something that they said. Most of the time, the thought that you thought of wasn't like, oh, I think you're so amazing. It's usually something derogatory, and it was something that you had to overcome. So these principles aren't just for parents towards kids. These principles are for siblings. It's for, uh, it's for all of us and how we speak to those other people in our life. Do you have a younger brother or sister? How do you speak to them? Has it changed? Even if they, well, they haven't changed. It's never changed towards me. That, that, that's not what this is about. It's about teaching your children well and me being a child in the, in the, in the eyes of God. When I was, um, when we had uh, four children, well, we still have four children. <laughs> Funny about that, it's still four. Um, they, they were all at home, so it must have been summertime because the older two were home from school. So all four of them were home and playing, and, and it was loud, and it was, it was the time of the morning. I had just made some coffee. I had just sat down with a cup of coffee and my Bible and my journal, and I was going to have some devotional time, some God time, just me and the Lord. And everything was just like, blah, 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 blah. And they were all over the place. And it's like, mommy, mommy, mommy. And, and a couple of them came out to me. It's like, mommy, mommy. And I put my coffee cup down. I took my Bible off of my lap and I put it on the table. And as I started to get up, I felt the Holy Spirit inside me say, stop. And then he said something really interesting. He said, they have to see you as a child of God before they see you as their mother. And it was such a huge revelation to me that I always put them, you know, and you, I mean, of course they have needs. So I stopped and I looked at them. I said, anybody dying? No, no, okay, nobody's dying. Anybody have like this big, huge need? No, no, no. Okay, I said, well then, this is mom's time with God. And I need some time alone with God for my relationship with him. So I want you guys to go play during this time. And I'm going to be alone with Jesus. And guess what happened? They all left. It's like, God, this is great. (laughs) You are so smart. I'm going to use this one again. (laughs) And I had this great time with the Lord. But more than that particular great time that morning was the principle behind it. And recognize that in building relationships with my children, I had to continue to build a relationship with my God. And so as we're building relationships with our children, 
Don't lose sight of your own walk with the Lord. There's this little video clip I'm going to show. And as you're watching this, look for a couple of things. It's two brothers, an older brother who's about to go off to college with his younger brother. And there's a number of things in that relationship that we can extract and we can say, you know what, that that applies to me or it could apply to me. They're both committed, but the older brother is really, he's caring. He's, He's making a point to be consistent and he's actually being a mentor to his younger brother. Watch this. You're late. Oh yeah, I couldn't find my club. You're late, Sam. Do you want to make majors next season? Yeah, I'm gonna try. Yeah? You're gonna try? Yes, definitely, yes. I don't want to waste my time here with you. Yes, yes. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Then I'll make a deal with you. I'll practice with you for one hour. Every day, right after I get off work up until I leave for Stanford. I'll meet you at Sunset Cannons. Every day. But if you keep me waiting like this, just one time, the whole deal's off. No, I won't. I won't. You better not. No. I swear. No, I won't. Okay. Then let's do this. Stop. Stop. What? Fundamentals. Get over here. Your hand out, palms up. See these wide seams? Mm-hmm. That's the correct way to hold a baseball. Didn't know I was gonna get to go to baseball camp this summer. It's because rich kids go to camp, Sammy. Do you have a trust fund you're not telling me about? Not really. No. No, you don't. But you know what you do have. Good looks? No, you got me. Get back over there. Hustle. See the commitment, both of them make this commitment, and it's a great example of mentoring, great example of pouring into somebody's off, which brings life, which brings us to the next point, which is passing on the truth. There's uh, three different points under passing on the truth. Verse 8, you know that you have to pass it on. It's going to be a personal sacrifice. It's going to be a spiritual battle. You're going to have to combine it with truth and mercy. Those three things remind me of a person that came into our life. Her name was Dana. I was, uh, during the time of our late 20s or early 30s, we were youth ministers. And this young, during that time, we, we combined a, a number of churches to get together and we did a young teen weekend getaway retreat. And one of the women that was on that committee, we were praying for her teenage daughter who was going to come, who was rebellious. And uh, she's like, Dana's coming and she's bringing four of her friends and she's going to be at this conference and so as I was, the first session, I happened to be sharing at that, the beginning of the first session, and Dana walked in as I was sharing with her four friends. They had chairs. No one was sitting in the front row, so they came and sat right in the front. Now, Dana, which is fine, Dana was completely dressed in black. She had black lipstick on, black nail polish. She had some chains. She sat down, put her boots out with her feet crossed out in front of me and crossed her arms and just stared along with her friends. So oh, this this is Dana. Hi, Dana. And just she re- basically tried to intimidate me, and I just kept. Con- I just went on with with what I was teaching on. After the service was over, she she came over and she goes, "I'm Dana." And I said, "Yeah, I thought I thought you were dangerous." Yeah, and she you know basically mumbled something to me and left. Well, a couple of months later, I have a phone call from Dana, and she said, uh, "This is Dana. I'm not sure if you remember me. Um, I really need to meet with you." 
I said, okay, uh, I don't have a car. I'm at home with our, at that time, our youngest. The other two were in school. And I said, I'm at home. You're welcome to come over to our place. She goes, okay. I said, but I'm going to warn you right now, I'm in the midst of, we're, we're renovating a bathroom and I'm just, I have to get this done today. I've got to pull off tile off of our, around the tub, fix, the fixture around the tub. So if you don't mind me doing that, you're welcome to come over. She goes, no, no, no. So she, she came over and she, she just stood there and I said, well, come on into the bathroom because I'm just going to keep chipping away on on these tiles and pulling them off. She sat down on the floor of that bathroom and she began to pour her heart out on some of the things that had been going on in her life and why the resentment had built up so much and just some of the struggles that she was going through. And I had absolutely nothing spiritual to share with her. I just kept chipping away at the tiles. And she said, okay, well, I got to go now. And I said, okay, great. Next day, knock on the door, it's Dana. And that happened for, I don't know what the period of time was, but she kept coming by day after day after day and just hanging out. I'd be cleaning, I'd be baking, I'd be doing whatever I was doing. And she just came over and she would just sit down and she would just talk. After this had gone on for a while, it was probably a couple months, uh, she came over and she said, "Um, I just want you to know that uh, um, I'm having an abortion and I'm scheduled for this day and I don't want to hear anything about it. Don't have to preach to me. My mom's already preached to me. I said, okay. And then she started telling me a bit about why she was going that route and, and her life, and she just kept going on. So before she left, I said, Dana, can I just pray for you? She was, oh, well, whatever. And I just prayed for her, and I prayed for the baby that was already being created, wonderfully created in her womb. And I just, said, pray, I just prayed for both of them. I said, God, I just commit them into your care. And then I didn't hear from Dana for a couple of weeks. And then she came back. She knocked on my door, and she came over. She went straight to our couch in the living room. She just plopped herself down. She goes, it's all your fault. I didn't have the abortion. <laughs> and I said, well, it even, okay, well, tell me what happened. She's, and she told me the story of how she went in there, and she said, I couldn't do it, and I don't know what's going on, and I, I guess I'm just going to go through with this. And So we walked through the pregnancy with her and she would pop in at any time any given time of day or night she came over to our house and and she would just come in and share and she'd be off in her little car that she actually had to climb through the window to get in and out of um yeah and she'd come and go and then one night we were clearing the dishes from supper and knock on the door and it was Dana and she came in and she began to weep and cry and she says I need Jesus and I need him now and that night we were able to lead Dana into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, which was absolutely amazing. She had the baby. Baby went into a Christian home through a wonderful Christian adoption agency. Dana went on to marry a Christian man, had four more kids, and was a worship leader at her church for many, many years. Dana is a success story for Jesus. She is an example of Deuteronomy chapter 6, but I didn't know it at the time, and you won't know it at the time when God brings somebody into your life who that person is that you're to mentor because it's an inconvenience. And when you look through these these points, is it a personal sacrifice? It was absolutely a sacrifice to have somebody come in and intrude in our family life, in our family time, and have somebody come in. Was it inconvenient? Absolutely. Did she fit well into our family? No. But she kept coming by, And the grace and the mercy and the truth kept flowing. And you realize it's not you anyway, and it's not about you. And God ministers to somebody else. Folks, that's mentoring. 
that's just saying, God, where you go, I'll go. Where you lead, I'll lead. I'll follow you. It's just doing the whatever, God, whoever you bring. But it's absolutely in your home with your children, diligently following along with the principles of God in your life. Verse 8, it says, you bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now, literally, that's what they did when that was written. It was literally a band with frontlets with scriptures. And, but today, it's, the principle is just is saying this, that wherever you go, what's in front of you? What are you thinking about? What's in your home? What kind of movies do you listen to? What, what type of music is going on in your home? How do you respond? Um, if somebody phones your house and one of your children answer the phone, and they say, Mom, it's so-and-so for you, and you go, I'm not home. Wrong answer. Because you're training and you're mentoring and you're teaching kids that it's okay to not tell the truth if it's an inconvenience for you. So it's, it's in your home. It's, it's a spiritual battle. It's absolutely a spiritual battle to pass on truth from one generation to another. Here's a little, I think we've shared this before, but it's the property of a toddler. And if you have a toddler or you've been around toddlers, you could relate to this. Uh, Ten points. Number one, if I like it, it's mine. Number two, if it's in my hand, it's mine. Number three, if I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. (laughs) If I saw it first, it's mine. If you were playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. And if it's broke, it's yours. And we could laugh at that, but as I was reviewing those, I thought, oh, you know what? That sounds like a lot of adults. I think that's even been me. You know, I was like, hmm, ha, ha. Yeah, we can laugh. <sighs> I can relate to that. Hmm. Especially the last one. If it's broke, it's yours. If I'm broken or something's wrong with me, it's your fault. And uh, we, we still tend to keep the property laws of the toddler. Pass on the truth. Keep it in front of you. Like I said, what do you watch? Combine truth and mercy. It's really interesting in verse, in Proverbs chapter 3, it talks about uh, combining mercy and truth, and it says, and, and write them on the tablet of your heart. Bind them around your neck. Truth on its own is harsh and strong. I, you just need to know the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth. And truth can be very cutting, right? If somebody just tells you the truth, it can hurt. Mercy, on the other hand, if everything we do is in mercy... It'll be, oh, that's okay. No, don't worry about it. And everything just gets brushed under the rug. So what God is saying is combine the two of them together. Have a heart of mercy, but do it with a spirit of truth. And when you do the two together, you can pass on truth in a way that, that's palatable, that people can get it. You know, when a baby begins to eat, you don't feed them steak. It becomes, it's a very palatable meal. And, you know, sometimes when we, when we start to see spiritual principles and God kingdom principles in our life, we can't just take it all in at once. We have to just take it step by step and take it like one piece at a time. Say, oh, I can do that. Or I see what he's saying there. And what is it? That's the mercy and the truth. God doesn't let us know everything all at once, which is a good thing. It's kind of like having kids. By the time you have teenagers, if, you would, if they would have come out of the womb as a teenager, I bet we would all be single-parent homes. That was funny. 
Yeah. What I'm saying is babies are fun and they're playable and you just love them. And, and by the time they get to be teenagers, they have their own mind and they should. They're thinking for themselves. That's what you want. And you want to be able to train them up, but it's progressive. And that's what it's like in, in, with the Lord. Children receive teaching best in an atmosphere of fun, of love. I actually call it fun. Um, it's love. But I, have a, I didn't realize I say this all the way through raising our kids, but I, I've been told I do. And I say, come on, it'll be fun. And I realize now the reason I did that was I could train them as I went along. In fact, I'd say, help mommy carry out the garbage. I'm, I said, come on, it'll be fun. <laughs> and they're like, oh, Okay. But now I think, okay, how am I going to make carrying out the garbage fun? What am I going to do? So I would do things like say, okay, it's going to be a follow the leader. And I would do like we're all carrying garbage. And we'd have to do a follow the leader thing to the garbage can or go to the grocery store and say, come on, you guys. I want you to come with mommy to go get groceries. It'll be fun. And they're like, oh, okay. So I'm at the grocery store thinking, how am I going to make this fun? Okay, I'll make it fun. And I do different things from, you know, maybe letting them get a, a special treat or pretend that the cart is a race car and we had to be careful the other cars that were on the racetrack and, you know, just made it fun. And, uh, yeah, did things like making bed. I'm making beds. I'd say, like, okay, it's time to go make the beds for the preschoolers, for the little kids. Let's go make your bed. And they're like, I said, come on, it'll be fun. And they're so cute because they can barely pick up the pick up the sheets and the blankets but you know when you pick it up and you make you whoosh it up and there's that air tent of air that's underneath so we'd make it fun I'd say whoever can jump on their first wins and so while the blankets would be up in the air one of us would try well I'd try to let them get on before I would and get in that bed and just make it fun and taking and making a bed would take forever it would take a really long time but at least you're teaching them to make a bed it'll be fun and that's part of passing on truths during that time. What are you doing? You're building a relationship. You're passing on truths, and you're loving God all this. And they're going, I can trust this person. And whether it's a child in your home or whether it's somebody else that God's brought into your life, bottom line is, don't you, just like me, I want to be able to trust that person. If they're going to impart something to me, I want to be able to trust them that it's going to be okay. And they seem to be okay, so I'm going to trust what they're saying to help me along life's way as well. And that, as parents, is so huge. Number four is have a plan. Uh, Have a plan. What's your plan to build a foundation for your children? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Because of God's special favor to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now, others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any other foundation than the one we already have, which is Jesus Christ. I shared with somebody after this service, that a couple that doesn't have children yet, and they said they were taking notes. And I said, that's what I did. We were married five years before we had kids. And I went to a parent seminar before we had kids. And I took oodles of notes. And the reason we did that is because I wanted to know, I wanted to have those principles already in my heart before I could pass them on to somebody else. And so often we go into parenting or mentoring and we say, oh, it's just going to happen. Uh, 
I produced a baby, ta-da, I'm a good mom, I'm a good dad. And it doesn't happen that way. It comes with training and teaching. Say, God, help me to be able to mentor someone else that you've given me. They're a treasure, the heritage from the Lord. It's his reward, it says, right? The fruit of the womb is his reward. How do I do this in a way that's pleasing to you? Help me. And he'll do that. He'll do that through so many different avenues. But, man, we just need to, we want to know how to do that. Have a plan. Write it down. So you know what I started doing before we had kids, I would write down little blurps in my journal of what kind of mom I was going to be. I'm going to be a kind of mom that my kids are going to love to be with. And I've told my kids this throughout their growing up years when they would be like, mom, you know, they get to a place where they, they just don't like you. It's like, I didn't like what you said. And the only way they know how to express what they didn't like what you said is to say, I don't like you. It's not that they don't like you. And so they would say that, and I'd, I'd get down in front of their face, and I'd say, but you know what? God gave me as your mommy, and I'm the very best mommy for you, and nobody else will love you more than me. I'm it. I get to be that mommy for you. And so this is the way it's going to be. <laughs> but it's, it's the truth. I want to love being a mom for them. Instead of just using that truth side and say, I'm the mom, you have to listen to what I'm going to say, I don't care if you don't like me, go do it. That's truth. Mercy's like, you don't like me? And you take offense to that, which is silly. But in the middle of that is a place to mentor and to bring up and say, come on, let's, we're going to do this together, and I'm gonna, we're going to walk through this together. And and I love you. And I've told them, over, like another thing I have, as a mom, and I, as a now I realize what I have said over the years, but I'll say, you have the best mom. And it's not as an arrogant, like, I think I'm the best mom of everybody. That's not what I mean. I'm the best mom for them. You have the best mom because God didn't make a mistake. And for your kids, moms, dads, your children have the best mom. They have the best dad. God didn't make a mistake. There's not another family. There's no one else that could bring up that child better than you can. God knew that. He knew that you could have the tools, that you could be equipped to bring up that child and mentor that child to be a responsible Christian and citizen. You have what it takes to bring up that child. And it's so good. It's so assuring to know that, God, you've put that inside me. You gave me that baby. That, that womb, that fruit was from you. You knew exactly what you were doing. And then this confidence rises up that I can actually pass this on to somebody. And it's not because I have everything right or you have it. We don't. We don't have everything right, especially baby number one. Don't you feel? Do I have any first, firstborns in the room? I feel for firstborns. I really do. Firstborns are, I, I call it the guinea pig. I know it's not the right term for it. I just don't know another one to call. If you have a better name for it, I can hear somebody right now just call them firstborns. You know, it's like, okay. When they're the firstborn, but you, it's, it's like everything, do I do this? Do I don't do this? Oh, that worked, that didn't work. And this, God knew who needed to be the firstborn in every family. And I, I've told our daughter, our oldest daughter many times, that you were the perfect firstborn. God was so smart giving you first because you could take all of my inabilities that I tried, I, error, trial and error, trial. I just did it all on you because you were going to be the perfect kid. By the time number four comes, you don't care if they're the perfect kid. You just want them to be a good kid. You know, you just want them to be, yeah. That's right, yeah. 
Sometimes I think we put too, way too much pressure on our kids. They have to be the best academically. They have to be the best at at least one sport. They have to be the best or really good at something musical. They better be able to public speak. They better be able to you know how to control the TV and music. And they better pick good friends. And we have all these expectations on our kids of what they better be. And a lot, if we just really become really honest with ourselves, a lot of those expectations, or maybe you even grew up with those expectations on you, it wasn't about you. And parents, if we're really honest about it, it's not about the kids, it's about us. Because we want our kids to look really good so we can say, guess what my kid's doing? And, and, and look at this. And it's a place for us to guard our heart with all diligence for out of it flows the issues of life. Guard our hearts with our kids that we're not asking them to do something because it's something we didn't get to do and it's something that we really want to be able to shine. Make sure it's because that's something that they want to do and that's a gifting that God has put inside them. How many kids have just said, I move when I'm, when I'm old enough, I'm leaving home, I'm getting away. And it wasn't because the home was so harsh other than having an expectation. So I, just, I just need to be who I am. And that's our responsibility as parents. It's our responsibility in a church to be able to encourage them to be everything God's called them to be. What are those specific giftings? What are those unique callings on my child that I can channel? And if they don't do it, you're going to love them anyway. Do they know that? If you don't get straight A's and you don't get that entrance, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, guess what? I love you anyway. It's okay. I'm still going to love you just as much. Huge. It's huge. I know there's people in this congregation, and you've had now as an adult, you're still working through that. Those expectations, those expectations, I could never quite do it. I could never quite be enough. I could never be there. Oh, family of God, let's not pass that on to our kids. Let's not let, there's some things you want to pass on, and there's some things you just want to say, ah, ah, it's going to stop here. Let's not do that to our children. Amen. So have a plan. Write it down. In this verse, in uh, chapter Nine, it says, you shall write them on the doorposts of your home and on your gates. It's really interesting because that coincides with Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2.2 where it says, write the vision down, make it plain. Because it's talking about two different places. It's talking about the doorpost and it's talking about the gate. The doorpost, if you look it up, the doorpost is actually your home or your household events. It's, it's what's happening inside your house. And then the gate says, when you leave your house, where are you going? Your workplace, the marketplace, it's a school, it's, it's your life outside of your home, it's your place of worship. It's those things that you do outside of, of your home. And he's saying, write something down for in your home, and you write something down for the gates. You have something written down on both sides, what? A vision. You write down this is the vision for my home. This is where I, I believe, God, you want me to go as a, as a home. But this is also where you want me to go outside of my home. And what am I passing on? What have you given to me that I can pass on to somebody else? And you may be here say, I don't think I have anything to pass on. You do. Every one of us has something to give. And even if you, and you know, that's one of the coolest things about this first verse that we looked at. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Sometimes the only way that people see us or, or pull something from us is but what they see. And adults, coastal, family, there are kids and there are teens and there are young adults that are watching us. And you may not say anything to them, but they see you serving week after week as a gatekeeper. They see you serving week after week 
in a bookstore. They see you week after week serving coffee. They see you week after week cleaning toilets. They do that here? Yeah, there's a custodial volunteer team, which, by the way, I think we should put a picture of them up because we have two custodial team members that wear higher-heeled shoes than anybody I know of, and while they're cleaning the toilets and washing the floor, they're in, like, four-inch heels. Yeah, anybody can do it. You've got all these people that are serving week after week after week, and you know what they're doing? People are watching them. You don't think teen girls are watching those women with jewelry on? In high heels, cleaning our bathrooms. You don't think our teen girls are watching that? You bet they are. And they're seeing women of God who say, hey, you know, I, I can take care of myself, but I can keep God's house clean too. We're all on the outside. What we're, what we're revealing, we're giving, and we're an example to somebody, and they're watching us. They're watching how we respond to people when, you, when we walk in the door. They're watching if there's a lineup in the washroom. They're watching our reaction. People are watching you. And may we be the kind of people that say, you know what, I have a plan. That's to follow you. God, I want to teach children well. And if whoever you bring into my life, it's the Danas, it's the kids in my own home, whoever they are, God, help me to be able to train them up well. And in closing, you see the rewards on the last page, that it'll be well with you. Truth goes on to another generation. And interesting enough, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, from 10 to 12, it's not in your notes, but the verses that follow after God commands all these things. Remember the beginning, he's saying, I'm commanding you to do these things. So he lists all these things to do. And then after he finishes doing that, and you can read it later, but after he finishes doing that, then he goes on to say, if you don't do this, because he says, all this is going to happen. You're going to be blessed. All these blessings are going to, I'm going to, I'm going to have my hand on you. He, he talks about these wonderful things that are happening. But he says, if you don't pass this on to the next generation, they're going to forget about me. They're going to forget where it all came from. And even where we're at today, all the blessings that are in your life right now, the reason we pass them on is so that we can usher in the presence of God and his character to another generation. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.